This is an AI Group podcast. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the most significant workplace relations issues of the month, April 2022. The full members-only report is available on our website at aigroup.com.au. It's in the news section under reports and policies. And on that page, select workplace relations. With me today to discuss the key aspects of this latest report is Stephen Smith. Hi, Stephen, AI Group's Head of National Workplace Relations Policy. And I'm Tony Melville, AI Group's Head of Corporate Affairs. And we're going to focus on three issues today. The first one is the federal election policies. We've got midway through the campaign, about two, two and a half weeks to go or so. We're going to talk about the annual wage review. And finally, the aged care work value case, which has got some flow on risk on claims on many other industries if the unions succeed. Okay, Steve, so first up is the Labor Party has announced some major industrial relations changes that it intends to introduce if elected, particularly around the topic of insecure work. AI groups expressed opposition to a number of these policies and for a variety of reasons, but perhaps we could just go through a few of them. So the first one is about uh, including job security as a new object in the Fair Work Act. What are the issues around that? Um, well, it's quite unclear what this would actually mean. Um, you know, perhaps it's not going to result in the, the biggest change to the way that the Commission and others deal with the issues, but this whole topic of job security flows through most of uh, Labor's announced policies. And, you know, there are significant concerns uh, amongst a lot of employers about what Labor has in mind around casual employees, around independent contractors, uh, Labor hire and so on. Because it's not really been an issue that's come up during the campaign terribly much, but there's a lot on the record, isn't there? And particularly around this idea that the uh, insecure work is dominating the workforce at the moment, which I think has been exposed as a myth. Well, this is one of the big issues is when you look at this argument that there is a, an increase in job insecurity, it's not borne out by the facts. If you look at casual employment, for more than 20 years, casual employment has been around 20% of the workforce. It took a big dip at the start of COVID because so many casuals were put off, but uh, it's now come back up again, but it's still only 19% of the workforce. So it's just not correct that there is a so-called um, increased casualization of the workforce. Um, the number of casuals today as a proportion of the workforce um, is less than it was 20 years ago. And, and yet there's policies uh, such as redefining casual employee to restrict ongoing regular casual employment should Labor win government. And what would be the impacts of that? Well, this is a major concern because, you know, as members would be aware, the whole casual employment debate over recent years has been very problematic, very risky. Um, the matter's been comprehensively settled through the High Court case um, in uh, WorkPAC versus Rosato and through the amendments that were made to the Fair Work Act last year to define uh, a casual employee. Uh, the High Court has effectively endorsed that statutory definition by deciding that the common law definition is consistent with that 
definition in the Fair Work Act. And the Labor Party have a policy of disturbing the definition of casual employee. Now, we don't know exactly what that would look like, but uh, the issue has been comprehensively settled and ideally, uh, you know, there will be no changes in that area. And there's also labour hire firms are in the target under labour policies about same job, same pay. There's some big implications for that too. Yes, and again, the, the facts are important here. The level of labour hire employment is 1.1% of the workforce on the, the latest ABS stats, and that has gone down in recent years. So there just has not been an increase in uh, labour hire workers. Uh, but Labor's policy would require client companies uh, to engage labour hire uh, businesses who are employing their workers on conditions and rates that match the rates that the client is paying. Now this uh, disturbs not only a lot of existing arrangements for labour hire companies and their employees, but the definition of labour hire in the bill that Labor introduced during the current term of government is exceptionally broad and it would include a lot of contracting arrangements that go far beyond any reasonable notion of what labour hire even is. Okay, well that's certainly one to watch and there's a, there's a range of others. I mean, we don't need to go through them all, but there's public reporting of the gender pay gap by large companies. There's 10 days paid domestic and family violence, violence leave, um, which uh, I, I, that's one I think we've supported, but paid for by the government, if I'm right there. Yes, that's right. We've supported a publicly funded domestic violence leave scheme at the level of the national minimum wage, but uh, not a requirement that employers, uh, small and large, would have to pay for for this entitlement. Okay. Other labour policies making wage theft a crime, giving the Fair Work Commission the power to set minimum paying conditions for gig workers. That's a growing section of, of the economy as well there. that's There's some, there's some cost risks there too, isn't there? Yes. Well, there's a number of issues with gig work um, that, again, the facts are really important. The, the level of gig work in the workforce is contested, but it's around half a percent of the workforce, half of one percent. Um, you know, this cohort is a subset of the independent contractors in the workforce. And the independent contractors in the workforce are about 7.8%. And that's come down from 9% over the last five years or so. Um, this idea that we've got this large uh, growing proportion of gig workers is, is not borne out by the facts. Yes, there are uh, a lot of gig workers, but most of them are doing the gig work not as their main job, but as supplementary income. The, the risk with what Labor is proposing is that it, it's not just more regulation for gig work, it could potentially disturb the meaning of an independent contractor and that could have major negative implications for sectors like construction, transport, professional services, etc., where a lot of independent contractors are engaged.
Okay, so a tiny part of the workforce, but obviously a highly visible one, and one that's been in the media a lot because of uh, of the various cases going on. But yeah, a very small part uh, of the issue. That one of those things that we'll have to follow up should the election go that way. And a couple of other policies before we get into the other items: uh, abolishing the Australian Building and Construction Commission and abolishing the Registered Organisations Commission. Now, the first one there, the Building and Constructions, had a bit of profile in, in recent weeks and it would be a costly and difficult exercise that our group has opposed strongly. That's right. The ABCC is carrying out a vital role. The, uh, the CFMEU are continuing to adopt this law-breaking model that uh, in the last few weeks the High Court has even uh, weighed in on. And, you know, unless there is a strong regulator continuing to hold the CFMEU to account, this law-breaking model uh, will continue. And, of course, that has a big impact on businesses. It has a big impact on consumers who are paying uh, for the higher construction costs that flow from all of that unlawful activity. Okay, well, moving now to the second uh, item in this discussion of the significant issues brief for the month is the annual wage review. So the annual wage review 2021 is continuing. So we filed our initial submission on 1 April, three further rounds to go. What are our arguments to the Commission on the wage review this year? Well, what we're arguing is, of course, because this is a wage increase that applies across every sector, the Commission shouldn't be looking at uh, sectors that are doing well or even uh, average uh, outcomes across multiple sectors. It's got to pitch the increase at a level that all sectors can bear. Um, you know, we have the highest minimum wage in the whole world um, and we, we're sort of uh, going uh, backwards and forwards a bit with uh, Luxembourg but we're, we're way ahead of other developed countries in terms of the uh, national minimum wage and every year of course through the annual wage review the uh, amount uh, goes up. So this, this year there are some um, significant issues, uh, notably the latest inflation figure, which has uh, come uh, out recently and is in excess of 5% as the headline figure. So that, of course, is going to be hotly contested as to what the appropriate level of wage increase is in this higher inflation environment that, uh, that we're currently seeing. Okay, and the two sectors with the largest proportion of low-paid, award-related employees, are those, are those ones that are having difficulties, accommodation, food services and re retail trade, particularly hard hit by the pandemic? Yes, yeah, so this goes to that issue that I mentioned, that you've really got to look at the, the whole picture and decide uh, what is an appropriate wage increase that the employers across all industry sectors um, can bear. Now, of course, some sectors tend to pay people award rates more than other sectors, like sectors like um, restaurants and hospitality and retail. There are a lot of people who are paid right on the award rate. So any annual wage increase has a direct impact on those businesses. 
in sectors like construction, manufacturing, professional services, a lot of people are paid above award rates. So the annual wage increase uh, does not need to be uh, applied uh, on over award rates. Now, what we have proposed is an increase of 2%, but that needs to be considered in the context that employers are facing another half a percent increase in the superannuation guarantee from 1 July. And also this big assistance package that was announced by the government in the latest budget, that translates to about a 1.3% increase in pre-tax income for uh, workers on the national minimum wage. So if you, you add up the 2% the with the, uh, the half of uh, a percent increase for the superannuation guarantee and that 1.3%, uh, our proposal would increase rates by 3.8% um, for those on the national minimum wage, or it would deliver a, a remuneration uh, a boost for them of that magnitude. Okay, I think it's uh, it was $15.45 per week about $18 per week at the base trade level increase. So that's the uh, take up the national minimum wage to it's around $788 a week, but which would also leave Australia still with a high minimum wage globally. Yes, um, very high globally. And of course, this is about the national minimum wage. Most people don't pay the national minimum wage, they pay award rates which are above the national minimum wage. So when you look at uh, effectively with the fact that we have a thousand uh, legally enforceable minimum wage rates in Australia, or more than a thousand in fact, through the award system, we would have by far the, the highest minimum wages in the world. Okay, so just going to the final issue, the. Fair Work Commission's hearing a major work value case in which the unions are seeking a 25% increase in wages under the Age Care Award, the Nurses Award, Social Community, Home Care and Disability Services Industry Award. Now, how is this going, how is this provide, you know, implications for other industries if it's just about those particular ones? Yes, this is a case to really watch and it has been focused on particularly by Labor in the current election campaign. Now, there's a bit of history to where we're at with this case because the unions have been trying to increase wage rates for aged care workers for uh, several years. They tried to do that through an equal remuneration case by arguing that this is a feminised industry and that people are paid less relative to other industries, you know, like the manufacturing industry, uh, which are dominated by males, and uh, they, they ran that case unsuccessfully. So they, they've had another go in running what's known as a work value case, and, and these cases have been rare up until now, but this is an argument that the value of the work has changed over time. Now, most of the wage rates in the federal award system go back to rates and relativities that were set around 1989 through a process called the structurally, structural efficiency principle process at the time. So the argument is, well, over the course of 
all of these years, the value of the work carried out by a, an aged care worker has changed and the, the unions are saying it's changed by 25%. Um, if they succeed, the risk is, of course, that uh, there'll be a, a, a flood of these cases across other industries. Okay, well, we'll watch that one. I think it's due for hearing between 26 April and 11 May, so it's got a bit of bit of time to run on that. Is, is that something that, that AI Group would intervene on, or we'll just keep a watching brief on that? Um, we're keeping a, a watching brief on, on that. It is a very uh, you know, evidence-heavy case that is being uh, run in the aged care sector, so we're not directly involved, but the... Uh, the outcome will be very important. Okay, well, let's wrap it up there. Thanks to Stephen Smith, AO Group Set of National Workplace Relations Policy. And a reminder that the full members only significant issues reports available on our website at aigroup.com.au. That's all for now. See you next time. <laughs>